Hello, listeners. It's Philip here. I'm joined by my cousin Mark and my brother Peter. Um, we're going to just talk a little bit more about how coronavirus is affecting tennis. Um, and before we do, uh, one question we were pondering is uh, which players do you think are enjoying this social distancing you know, time off the most and which are enjoying it the least? Uh, Mark, what do you think? Actually, Philip, if you don't mind, I just want to preempt your question, uh, maybe to buy a little bit more time on that. But actually, who do you think is more affected by this? Tennis junkies like ourselves, who, you know, this is like the carrot, um, the dangling carrot that we look forward to all day. And it gives us plenty of fodder to talk about on WhatsApp. And, you know, we, we get we, we tennis binge on the weekends or the tennis players who we figure have probably a bunch, bunch of sources of revenue. So do you, is it possible that tennis fans are suffering as much as tennis players? I think it depends on how, how good the tennis player is. Because, like, the challenger <laughs> players are probably suffering a lot. I also think it's a general rule that the tennis fans are suffering a lot more than tennis players. <laughs> like, even, you... yeah, when everything's going right as well. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Are you speaking as a basketball fan as well, or are you are you just restricting this to tennis? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a strict celebrity non celebrity divide. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. A good way to look. But back to your question, you want me to start first? So, yeah, yeah. You know, when you ask the question, uh, you know, Federer immediately came to mind as the one who's who's enjoying it the most, uh, despite the fact that he has four kids which certainly will require infinitely more of his energy than it did before. But I would say that Rafa is enjoying it the least. There is no way he would have timed his wedding in October if he had known that this was coming down the pipe. Because what is the first thing that the, um, the, 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 the families do, but particularly the wife during this time, is online shopping. In fact, some days there's nothing else to do but online shopping. As a recently <laughs> married bride, she has more access to the credit card than at any point she will in her entire life. <laughs> the guy has put off having kids probably as long as any wealthy dude has. The combination of this is the perfect storm for just at-home misery, I would say. So I, 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 think thought, I was thinking, thinking when you use the phrase coming down the pipe, I was thinking of something else. <laughs> but, you know, interpret metaphors. You know, double entendres are, are more than welcome in this pod. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I really like your answers, but I'm going to take take it a little bit of a different direction. Um, and I have one person who actually might be straddling either the more, or he he he's both. He could be on the the one liking it the most and the one liking it the least, but. I'm going to start with David Gofan, who is well supplied with Vaseline, <laughs> and and, and um, his his little teenage boyish um, uh, urges are he he doesn't have to make excuses anymore. He can just he can just keep going and going and going. Yeah, um, you think uh, you think <laughs> Rayanich will uh, at some point use hair gel instead of Vaseline? Do you think he gels his pubes? Easy, 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 easy. We got got, got PG listeners here. We got PG listeners. Close runner-ups are the injured stars. So, like, 
Murray, Delpo, Nisha Corey, all those guys, like, they've just got time to recover, and Federer as well. They've just got time to recover, and they're not missing anything. Um, are we and, assuming, are, is this conversation based on the assumption that these injured veterans had no input, or do you think they have a little bit of, uh, of the ATP executives' ears such as, I mean, I don't know who the non-player executives are. I know that Papazil, I think, is the head of the of the Players Association. But do you think Fed and the others, you know, maybe there's a separate WhatsApp chat and, and those guys, I mean, particularly Murray and Fed with their 23 or 24 Grand Slams between them. Do you think they pretty much, do you think the All England Club has more of a say of, of whether or not Wimbledon gets played? Or do you think Federer and Murray have more of a, more of a say? Uh, all England club. <laughs> I hear that when the French was rescheduled, they they didn't tell the ATP, but they did call Nadal. <laughs> <laughs> Are you making it up? Nadal or you're the truth? <laughs> is, is that a made up story, or that's not a made up story? No, I heard it um, <laughs> on. I heard it from like credible sources. All right. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, who will remain anonymous? Um, He's the only, only one with veto power. So um, then, in terms of who's who's um, enjoying it the least, I mean, there's a major toilet paper shortage, and so who's most affected by that? Um, I'm going Chilich. I'm going. I'm going uh, Delpo. And Delpo's the one who's on either side of the story, depending on what his circumstances <laughs> really are. And and um, and, and also just uh, the the big the big drinkers, the big partiers. So I think Sock could be having um, the social distancing aspect of this may be tough for him, but he might just drink anyway. Uh, I, I think you're talking about the whole American tennis contingent. They know that in any major tournament that, let's say, they book the hotel for two weeks, the first week, you know, is for singles and doubles. And once the first week is over, it's just for playing poker and, and getting blasted with, you know, with their compatriots. So they, they will definitely have some very expensive poker games. Um, Sock will be back to his 2000, early 2018 uh, physique, which is... Uh, Body by Budweiser, and yeah, I think he's gonna enjoy it for about three weeks, and then the next five weeks, he's he's losing his uh, he's he's gonna be losing some of his foot speed. I, I actually had Sock as uh, the guy enjoying it most because he he went out on top. He won four matches in his last tournament, um, and he won't be able to like lose matches. For the next however long this lasts. Oh no, he's done for the year. He already met his quota for the year, so he's good. He's yeah, good. yeah. And I also think Stan is enjoying it. I saw a photo of him eating fondue um, in Switzerland at his home there, um, and enjoying it at least. Yeah, on the big uh, partier front, I had uh, Verdasco. I think he has um, certain level of expectations um in certain ways that um a lot of us have not have not reached more tennis generated than not or are you talking about because of the social distancing or because he's making less pocket money oh Um, no definitely social distancing 
Uh, anyway, it's on the part of your front. Um, I'm wondering if Kyrgios, if if this, um, if if there's a freeze on his behavior probation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who do you think is um, the most likely player to to get um, the coronavirus first? Um, that's a great question. Because uh, because Rudy Gobert, he like touched all the microphones, uh, <laughs> like taking it lightly and like making a show of like how 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 stupid all this distancing was, and then he was the first to get it. So I think there's like a karmic element in this. Like the entire like twenty percent of like the Iranian like ministry got it, and they're just like a shitty government. So. Uh, so yeah, there is just sort of a karmic element in who gets it first. That's a good question, and that may be an entire pod unto itself. Maybe we can lay some odds. I think Ted, somebody who something always goes wrong for them. So I think what's going to happen is Delpo's going to get it. I mean, it's literally that he is the Murphy's <laughs> Law of tennis players, and he's going to do everything right. He's going to have the most hygienically sound home. I mean, he's not, which means he's. T- but I think it's not a warm part of the world. <laughs> not much go, not much virus going on there. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be out there doing practice serves one day, and then um, realizing he forgot his ball buster, borrow it from somebody else, and the, the heavy set dude who's you know ball hopper he borrowed had it. So I'm going to go with Delpo first, Nishikori second, and then maybe Sandgren third. In part, probably because he was agreeing with Trump when Trump was denying it to begin with. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, what's his name, Justin Gimmelstab. I think uh, <laughs> he doesn't count. He just like deserves it the most. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> he, he certainly deserves the social distancing enough. That that's for sure. Anyway, back to the tennis. Um, yeah. Philip, if you had a say in the matter, how would you how would you work the schedule over the, the next four months? Would you start playing some tournaments with some empty stadiums? We know that the TV generates more money anyway. What what would be your approach to this? Would you, would you do would you do would you go the the sort of slow and steady approach? Would you start with Wimbledon? Would you start with the hard court season? Would you bypass Wimbledon and and start with the clay court season maybe in early June and just back that up a little bit? If you, if you had to say, what, what would you do? So so what's going on so far? So everything through the French Open has been canceled, and they're just keeping keeping their head up for more information um regarding i guess what comes after and honestly i think that's the only thing you can do um epidemiologists are all saying that uh this is going to be just enormous like exponential growth is just not something to fuck with like walking around i'm in paris right now um one thing you're allowed to do here is go for a jog and it's just a ghost town here um, for good reason. Um, I think China, uh, it went, it went like total quarantine like six weeks ago and they're finally like getting back to work. Um, but uh, yeah, we, there's just so much we don't know. Like six weeks is the bare minimum, but like, some places are taking this more seriously than others. Like France I, I was, think I was asking a little bit more just on, on the tennis schedule. Do you yeah. think it's smart just to pick up with the sort of organic evolution of the season? Or do you think it should, they should more or less start where they left off 
uh, whether it's the hard courts, the this um, the sunshine, uh, whatever you call it, sunshine series, or start with the clay. Maybe push, you know, Wimbledon. You could play a bunch of matches. With oh, the like push anyway. everything and back, then, and then and then skip the U.S. Open. I mean, that just a thought. Keep everything in Europe, so at least the players are not traveling quite as much from continent to continent. I was thinking you just start with the French. You push Wimbledon later, and hey, if the U.S. Open, rather than shuttling all these players back and forth, you know that you just just keep it in Europe. That, I, that I think the point. only uh, essential tournaments are the Grand Slams. So like uh, you have to uh, you have to prioritize rescheduling the Grand Slams instead of uh, above all else, uh, and then the tournaments that uh, that that weren't played well they were just unlucky this year and hopefully they'll uh, they'll be around next year. Um, what do you think, I, Peter? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it is. Uh, it is especially tough this year because it's an Olympic year. Um, but I just doubt the Olympics will get played there in Tokyo. Um, and, but I, th- I yeah, think my I mean, question I th- is, I totally agree. I think it should be prioritize the grand slams first and then make sure that all the three remaining grand slams are played. Even if, even if they have to be back to back to back, that would be amazing by the way. That would be so much fun if it was just like back to back to back Grand Slams. <laughs> yeah, that I would mean, be... not for the players, but like for for a fan. Oh, incredible! Um, but no, you don't like the idea of okay. So let's say they come back June tenth. You do uh, a, you know maybe some five hundred. So maybe you do Barcelona and something else at the same time. Then Rome. Then do the French the end of June. Um, you could push Wimbledon until the end of July. So what if you back up the U.S. Open a couple of weeks and they start it in mid to late September? It's not that cold in New York. Why not just go in the normal order? Yeah, that that would sense. actually make the U.S. Open more endurable. Like when we were there two years ago, it was so hot um, on that second Monday. Like um, I, I it think it's actually it in, was actually unbearable. It was unbearable. Yeah, in the it, it is it even though. They have like they have a is it Labor Day or Memorial Day? One of those, I think Labor Day. Labor Day, Labor Day. Yeah, they have the they have the long weekend. But if they pushed it back to Columbus Day weekend, like everything would be better. I mean, I don't see why that would be a problem. If you push it back three weeks, even if you start September twenty second and finish October sixth, like. Wherever they were planning on playing the French, just make that the U.S. Start right there in Europe. The, most of our, all of the stars are in Europe anyway. Start with the French. Get a, get a two weeks of clay in, you know, a 500 week, then get Rome. If somebody wants to play Rome, you know, they can. If they want to play two, three matches and tank it out, get the French started around uh, June 24th or June 22nd. Push Wimbledon. I'm just surprised it wasn't even considered, and it, and I think that the French went rogue for fear that they were going to cancel it all together. Yeah, and so I exactly. do feel like they were. So con- apparently, the um, tennis is just uh, notorious for being bureaucratic and not being able to coordinate to make decisions. Um, and so the French Open went rogue, and that like they couldn't the the WTA and the ATP couldn't even agree on a mutual statement about Corona. Virus <laughs> in, until the French Open went rogue, 
and then everyone convened around a mutual like enemy for having gone rogue um and so i don't know i kind of admire the french open for just like being like you know what screw all you guys we're gonna make sure that we get our tournament played and like you'll have to work around us if you want any sort of um or if if if, uh, uh you'll have to work around us on this one i've heard that uh, some of the players are really not happy about the the French being immediately after the U.S. Open or just a week after. Um, but I think as long as the top players, as long as like Nadal and Djokovic are playing, um, that's all they really need. <laughs> and as long as the prize money is like what it, what it usually <laughs> is, like. Uh, yeah, I think it actually is just sort of a power move. Like, the French Open is sort of bigger than the ATP. Like, the Grand Slams are bigger than, like, everything else on tour. So it's just like, uh, yeah, the French Open was just saying, like, what are you going to do? Cancel us? Like, uh, no, you're not, because you can't. Um, and, like, uh, yeah. But, so but this, I think what the ATP is arguing is, like, why couldn't we just have coordinate on this and have and just coordinate so that the schedule was more optimized for the players, for the for the fans? Um, and I think the French implicit in their going rogue, uh, they were just like, we don't believe that such coordination is actually possible with the governing bodies at play. Yeah, yeah, that it was sort of a yeah. Do you think that your little utopian scenario, even if these Grand Slams are three weeks apart, are sort of de-pampering the players a little bit? Should they, as great as that would be for the fans, you know, just sort of the perpetual gratification, do you think also that the players should be able to make, particularly after all these years, yes, I know it's not ideal for them, but those quick an adjustment, uh, you know, to a compressed schedule? I mean, they already do it between the French Open and Wimbledon, so you just make it three tournaments instead of two basically um but yeah we were what if the french open happens like right after the u.s open um who does that who who does that favor on clay without any tune-up um and who does that favors the people who lose earlier in the u.s open i i think phil are you asking your question like who besides the obvious would be able to make the quickest adjustment back to the clay or who would benefit from losing earlier in the hard courts or are you just sort of seeing those answers as one and the same? Yeah, just uh, I think like their advantage, like if you get far in the U.S. Open, it means you're a very good player. So um, you can trans, you can sort of, so if like Medvedev, Djokovic, Nadal and like team are in the U.S. Open semifinal, like Nadal team... Djokovic, they're all just like masters on clay. Like they're not going to lose in the first three in the first three rounds um, of the French Open, no matter how rusty they are. Um, but at the same time, like if uh, yeah, if like uh, Monfils or someone loses early, he'll have like an extra week to prepare and might be extra lethal at the French Open. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I think the question is 
I think the answer is less premised on who loses early and who can play some quicker points at the French. Maybe in the first week you can slog out some four or five hour matches, but eventually it's going to catch up with you. So who can get some more free points? Who can modify their style, maybe even hit the net a little bit more than they would want to? And so maybe I'd put that question back to you. Who can either make a quick adjustment of their style of play or get more free points so they can condense the length of their matches? Yeah, I um, I think that Dominic team is the most ben- who the one who most benefits from this just because of age. Because um, like we we've discussed in the past how Federer, Nadal, and even Djokovic somewhat they have a finite am- amount of really really grinded out tough matches in them. So like when you see when you saw Nadal's draw in the Aussie Open, which had Kyrgios and and um, team, and then possibly Medvedev, and then Djokovic. You just knew he couldn't win because he didn't have four of those matches in him. He usually has one or two of those matches in him if he's going to win the tournament. And if if these are back to back weeks, it's almost it's almost um, it's tougher for Nadal because and Djokovic and Federer because they're going to likely have at least four or five of those matches if win or lose. Um, yeah. Another one in the team category is like Sitsipas because he's like a yeah. very good clay court player who's young. And then another exactly. one is Sparev because you know he's going to lose early in the U.S. Open. And so like he'll be able to play the guys who are ti- like at the French Open when they're tired and he's fresh. And he's, and he's pretty good on clay. Yeah, Actually, I, I would be bullish on Zverev, but for the opposite reason. I think that he can play a lot of tournaments. His body's built for it, so I think he heals quickly. Or he, I mean, see how many times he'll like lose in the second or third round, play the next week, maybe lose in the first, maybe go deep, but then just keep playing tournaments. I think he's, he's pretty elastic on the court, so I would say even if he has a good U.S. Open, he can also have a very good French Open. I think, I think, it, I think it works both ways with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, like the utopian schedule, I would say the utopian schedule is okay. Let's presume that June 15th is the day that this can start. For no, I, I'm just picking that date out of a hat. Um, I think you would play the French Open immediately. Uh, presume everyone has been uh, warming up, on, has been practicing on clay. Uh, you. You play Wimbledon during the two-week stretch that's usually Cincinnati and uh, and uh, Montreal. And then you play the U.S. Open um, at its, uh, like two weeks later than it usually is. 100%. I, I think you can even go three weeks later in the U.S. Open. You do need to give the players at least two weeks of warm-up for Wimbledon. I think you definitely have to play Halle and and Queens Club, and, and that is a tough transition. It's good for the sport anyway, but I, 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 don't, there's, I don't even feel like the U.S. Open's ever had to be played when it's had to be played. I know they want to pack the fans in Labor Day weekend. Those New York fans, people who come from Connecticut, et cetera, will come any weekend. Why not make I mean, maybe this is kind of like this whole crisis is, is uh, supposedly conditioning us to rethink our use of resources. You know, maybe... Maybe this will force the ATP a little bit to rethink its schedule. I think we've had lesser quality tennis at the U.S. Open the last couple of years because the players are gassed. 
it's very hot, and let's give them more time to recharge their battery. That would be my preference, at least. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys agree with that, but I feel like the U.S. Open has become almost the ugly, I don't want to say the ugly stepchild, but, but the, less, the, the lesser and the least of the four Grand Slams because the players, again, are either gassed, you know, it's too hot. Even the 11 o'clock at night matches, we saw that with Federer and the Milkman a couple of years ago. It was unbearable for the players and the fans. I think uh, I think it has, it's not the, the Australian Open is the least prestigious major, but it's probably the major with the lowest level because everyone's so, like, worn out from the season already. Um, I would say that. But, yeah. I think like yeah, this is actually an opportunity to reset the schedule in a way that makes sense. Um, yeah, if like Wimbledon were play like yeah, so it's just like okay, Aussie Open is in January with nothing around it, like like in the midst of it, and then there's just like this the scrum of three majors in the summer, like uh, and I think it sort of has to be that way just because the weather in France, uh, England, and New York. Um, but like New York could definitely push it back to like early October and the weather would actually be better. Uh, England could like, and then Wimbledon could be played in like early August and then French is early June. That would mark it like two months in between all three of them. And then, um, but yeah, there, there's definitely a better way for the schedule to be set up. Peter, what do you think? In the meantime, trust the uh, I just don't trust the governing bodies to actually coordinate. So I just think that um, I'm just looking to Wimbledon to uh, go rogue, go go vigilante on this once. If uh, if what, it, what does Wimbledon going vigilante look like? Like uh, it's so proper. Does it, would it yeah, be no. like? Wimbledon going vigilante says we're gonna do the two weeks before the U.S. Open. <laughs> yeah, in in the politest way, we are going to <laughs> forego the ATP process. <laughs> yeah, to, uh, for our fans out there, we will draft the letter. We will draft the simulated letter and we'll read it to you on our next podcast. <laughs> um, well, well, in fact. We'll, we'll subcontract ourselves to to draft that memorandum, and uh, and that just gives you guys something to look forward to. We'll uh, we'll post it on our Instagram site, and we'll read it to you guys next week, and and, and look forward to that feedback. It's also, uh, um, thanks for mentioning social media because uh, our social media page is at the Doubles Alley, um, T H E Doubles Alley, at uh, on Twitter. So, uh, so hit us up there. All right. What, what form of exercise have you guys been missing the most during, you know, before we sign off to our listeners, what form of exercise have you guys been missing the most uh, during this time? Is is it racket sports? Is it, um, I've, uh, I've been keeping like my wrist has been, uh, used quite a bit so like yeah, I mean, I, those I mean, muscles your, those muscles are not days. um deteriorating but uh 
but it is uh I don't know, I sort of miss lifting and yeah. Squash and tennis. Like well, what about you? Jet skiing? No, I, I miss uh the thing is I still have been playing a little bit of tennis, just in more sort of private quarters, but but I would say uh I certainly miss coaching team sports and and I was hoping to get some golf in during because it's spring break for us this week. I was hoping to get some golf in, but uh, I'll be shagging balls in other ways. So, <laughs> yeah, Peter, Peter, you have an exercise bike downstairs. That's your pride and joy, right? Yeah, I still get to use it. Um, it's cold in Boston. There isn't much outdoor sports going on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I just miss. Um, I do miss racket sports just in general, so probably just racket sports. Cool. Well, on that note, um, yeah, uh, if you've uh, listened this far, uh, subscribe on iTunes to The Doubles Alley. Um, give us a five-star review, and yeah, look us up on Twitter. Um, ask us any questions uh, you want us to discuss in the next pod um, where <laughs> – at the Doubles Alley on Twitter. And just to follow Phil said, if you guys have any opinions, uh, you know, your two cents on how the ATB should running run their schedule, uh, their troubleshooting schedule over the next few months, we certainly look forward to, to hearing your input. All right. Thanks, listeners. Mm-hmm.